This podcast is a proud member of the That Moment In Podcast Network. Check out the network at thatmomentin.com. Hello and welcome to episode 11 of the Asian Cinema Film Club. I'm your host as always, Edward Jones, and joining me, of course, is my co-host, Mr. Stephen Palmer. Hello, everybody. Um, and tonight we are also joined by our special guest host from Tranco Dreams and Game Warp. It gives me great pleasure to welcome my good friend, Miss Kim Lowe. Hello, how's it going? It's going well, Kim. Um, obviously, tonight we are talking about Stephen Chow's Got a Cookery. Uh, surprisingly it's taken us this long to really talk about Stephen Chow a Hong Kong director slash actor slash producer uh, slash wearer of many hats who basically burst onto the western scene with the likes of Shaolin Soccer and Kung Fu Hustle only to really disappear as quickly as he had appeared yet uh, in his obviously in his homeland he has continued to make films and tonight we're obviously going to be looking at his, one of his earlier films from 1996 with The God of Cookery but before we obviously get into that I mean We've obviously just had the festive break. I mean, how did your viewing go over the festive break? I mean, did you manage to watch anything at all, Stephen? Or was it just a case of, like myself, where you had all these great plans and nothing came of it? Oh, that that's the story of my life, mate. But um, <laughs> I actually, I have started something. So I have started recording every film I watch, Asian or whatever, on my Twitter feed. So now when you ask me what I've watched... My plan for the year is I'm going to write everything down and see how many films I watch, whether I watch them at the cinema or at home or whatever. So um, I've watched a couple of things in Asian cinema land, sort of been catching up on some of the DVDs I've had hanging around. So I caught um, Yashiharu Hasebi's Massacre Gun, um, which was something Arrow put out a few years ago, sort of a noir, Yakuza, gangster film in the vein of uh let me think branded to kill i suppose but not quite okay. as crazy yeah uh so, so same lead actor um it's it's a fine well-made jazzy gangster flick if you're into that kind of thing i would say fairly unexceptional and what was the other one and then I know you don't like me talking about this, but I've started going through my um, female prisoner Scorpion Blu-ray collection. So I, um, yeah, I, I, <laughs> I rewatched Jailhouse Forty One, and it's been a long time since I'd seen it, and I've forgotten how artsy and weird and surreal, with little forays into kabuki cinema and, um, frankly, Japanese pornography tropes, as well as being really rather entertaining so i had uh i had a, a sort of the average to the excellent i think you would put it down as yeah i mean the female prisoner uh scorpion series they on your traditional women in prison movies at uh, the least they do go off in some interesting directions um obviously they do feature our favorite leading lady miko who is just always wonderful i, I don't I don't know whether I'm watching Stray Cat Rock or Female Prison Scorpion uh, or Lady Snowball. She's just always wonderful. Um, and and it's, even, it's even better in this one. She says two words. <laughs> and, 
and that's it. Everything else is just her glaring and acting with her eyes. And you know, as as we've said before, in Asian cinema, an, act, an actor or actress that acts with their eyes is actually quite rare. Um, so yeah, very very emotive, very oh, it's just wonderful. Um, obviously, Kim. I mean, you yourself. I mean, you're again someone who wears many hats. If we just look at your blog, Tranquil Dreams. I mean, you're doing baking, you're doing films, you're doing books. I mean, it's it's many things that you cover through your site. Um, I mean, how was your sort of festive viewing? Did it? Did you manage to get much watched, or was it just sort of like being distracted by families and then wanting to be entertained and whatnot? Well, I did a lot of watching, just not a lot of Asian cinema, which is something that I've missed and I've talked about in my 2018 plans to kind of like bring that into my blog now is uh, I'm going to start having more uh, focus on Hong Kong cinema, which is where my roots really are. So, yeah, I mean, I watched a lot of 2017 movies, you know, like uh, 47 meters down and uh, Arrival and that sort of stuff, you know. (laughs) Kong Skull Island. <laughs> yeah, I watched Kong Skull Island as well. It's uh, Kong Skull Island fills me with great hope for the inevitable Godzilla vs. Kong that is going to be coming up. Uh, I, think, I believe it's 2019 they're currently penciling it in for at the moment. And I mean, I don't know, going on the term, I mean, what we obviously fought on the American one as of late. Um, I personally liked it, though it had too much of a human story and not enough of a, you know, kaiju story for a Godzilla movie. And certainly Kong Skull Island, I thought was a great boys' own adventure, and it's just nice for them just to do a, just a straightforward Kong story without confusing it with like all the old tropes of like human sacrifices and the blonde maiden who has to be sacrificed by the obvious uh, hostile tribe who live on Skull Island. So it was kind of nice for them to mix up some of the usual tropes there. Um, I mean, Stephen, have you seen Kong Skull Island yet, or? Oh yeah, I saw it a few months ago. Um, I really enjoyed it. You know, you know me. I like a trashy movie. I really didn't enjoy the remake, uh, the latest remake of Godzilla. Um, I found it. In, I found it well made, but boring, and wasted the best character by killing him off in the first act. I'm looking at you, Brian Cranston. Um, <laughs> and then the rest of the movie was just people shuffling back and forth for no purpose. And then it got quite interesting in the final act. But I thought. Kong Skull Island is stupid. It's a stupid, stupid B-movie with kind of good special effects and, again, a bit of a wasted cast. I'm looking at you, Mr. Tom Hiddleston. But um, (laughs) I just thought it was just a huge amount of fun and way better than I was expecting. And like you say, a little bit at the end, which has given us a hint of um, maybe a fun monster movie kaiju base to come. Yeah. I mean, obviously, with the legendary MonsterVerse, it's next going to be Godzilla, King of the Monsters, which is going to introduce Mothra, King Ghidorah, and Rodan, which is going to be interesting to see. It's also going to be interesting to see if they screw up these monsters, seeing as they're so established. I'm really interested to see uh, how they obviously play that out. I'm hoping, like Kong Skull Island, they're just doing a straightforward adventure romp and not trying to bog it down in humanity and human story and and whatnot, because... It just doesn't need it. And it also doesn't need to be around two, two, three hours long, which most movies seem to feel that they have to be now. So, I don't know. A nice short romp would be great. Um, as for myself, I mean, I finally got the letterboxed year in view back. And after 166 films uh, logged of last year, it's given me a target to obviously aim to beat this year. Obviously, being Christmas and all, I did enter into it with, oh, so many great plans. I was going to watch The Villainess. Um, I was going to... <laughs> 
I had like all these like films that I was going to watch. I had like Tales of Surprisingly Fast Swimmers, uh, Valerian, Task, some you know some Western cinema in there as well, and uh, oh, and Baby Driver as well, which everyone raved about. And I finally watched the other day, and I have to say it was pretty naff. So you uh, what? Right, I'm cancelling the podcast. Okay, <laughs> that was my film of the year. <laughs> really, <laughs> I adored it. It's like the best musical ever. <laughs> Yes, it's sort of like, oh, Edgar Wright, you can time stuff in, so you can time gunshots so they match it with the soundtrack. It's like, yes, that's a very clever trick. Now, how about we don't repeat it constantly? Uh, Jamie Foxx can just naff off for ruining that movie. He didn't need to be there. Uh, The soundtrack was good, but I mean, I think the people impressed by it obviously had never heard these tracks because if you're doing the the blues explosion track, Bell Bottoms, you don't need hammy and sort of weird dancing along karaoke to it um which we obviously got and it was all like killed any corners of that track and as soon as they hit like radar love i was like oh for christ you're just going for any easy driving track you can now so but uh john ham was good i just wish he'd had more chance to be a villain but um uh, more importantly we'll have to We'll have to agree to disagree on that, shall we? We will. We're, we're starting a new podcast called uh, Elwood and Stephen Argue About Stuff. <laughs> it was about time. <laughs> um, while we're obviously on the front, though, of disagreeing about things, I did watch Sion Sono's Anti-Porno, uh, which you mentioned on the previous show, and you I mentioned did. not being a fan. Um, I have to say that I'm very worried that I'm becoming a diehard uh, Sion Sono fan because I really, really enjoyed Anti-Porno. It's obviously if you're not aware of it, it's uh, Nikatsu the studio. They are at the moment kickstarting their Roman porno sub label or romantic porno um, to give it its proper title. And anti porno is one of the titles that is being included in this revamp. And it's basically the more like you're watching an art house movie, but it's absolutely filthy at the same time. Um, and it's just so wonderfully weird yet beautifully shot and I think it was this weird combination of extreme styles that just really appealed to me um, and the fact you like any good Zion Sonic movie like Why Don't You Play in Hell it just managed to surprise me every sort of turn it's just that I thought I had figured out something would happen and it would just completely throw me uh, so I think if we're uh, totaling things up that we've disagreed about and we're, what, one show into the New Year's even that's two now, so... So I found it. I just thought it was a missed opportunity. I thought it looked good. I thought performance was good. I just thought it was like a student movie. And I thought it was bite- I thought it was biting the hand that fed it, frankly. <laughs> but anyway, we'll, we'll, that's two for two. Let's see how we go. Yeah. Kim, I mean, are you a fan of Sion Sono at all, or...? I, I don't I don't know. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just I'm just like in a daze listening to what you guys are talking about. I'm like I have no idea what they're talking about. Okay, absorb. I'm sure, I wouldn't <laughs> worry. I'm sure once we get on to Stephen, um, once we, we get into tonight's night's film and start talking about Stephen Chow because of the horrible distribution of his films and uh, Stephen obviously having better connections than I do. Um, is meant that a lot of these films I've not seen, which you two obviously have. So, well, what I'm actually looking, what I'm looking forward to, Elwood tonight, is that usually Kim, this show is two white guys 
utterly fail to pronounce any names, especially Chinese names, well. So we're hoping that you're going to correct us and teach us. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Deal. <laughs> um, yeah. So, I mean, when it comes to Hong Kong Chinese cinema, the names are slightly easier. It's not like when we look at Japanese cinema or... Korean cinema, where it just gets very confusing, especially Indonesian cinema, where it, they just seem to be putting letters anywhere they can. Um, it is these are a little easier to pronounce some of these names, so hopefully we won't be butchering too many names on tonight's show. But obviously, Stephen Chow, I mean, he's as we said, he's a man of many hats, like many leading men in, and actresses in Hong Kong cinema. Um, I mean, what do we know really about Stephen Chow, Stephen? <laughs> Well, apart from he's got a really fantastic name and he spells it the correct way. Um, okay, so actually, you know, I, I've actually written quite a lot about Stephen Chow and seen a lot of his movies. So um, I'll just give uh, I'll give our audience a little um, a potted history via his films. And Kim, please jump in if you think I'm wrong or, or you have something to add. So I guess um, if you think of the sort of the famous names that have sort of crossed over into the public consciousness of, of Hong Kong cinema, certainly modern Hong, modernish Hong Kong cinema. You think of Jackie Chan, you think of Jet Li, you think of Chow Yun-Fat on the male side. And I'd say um, Stephen Chow Sing-Chi is, is another, mostly because of the success of Shaolin Soccer and Kung Fu Hustle over a decade ago now. Um, but he's very much rooted in the realms of comedy. Um, he famously got rejected as a young man as an actor at tvb um but managed to sort of cling on to a career by um starring in a not starring sort of presenting a children's tv show so you could um think of uh some uh what's the fella that did shrek and all that the the, the canadian actor that oh, also nice. starred in Mike Myers, so very similar to Mike Myers, basically got his break acting in children's breakfast TV. Um, two things that, apart from his films, I guess people will, or, or two things that we can sort of assign to him. One is, and this is where I'm going to fail, is that he's famous for what they call Mo Le Tao cinema. Um, it's kind of hard to explain. We could call it sort of nonsense slapstick, but it's full of basically it's a, it's a sort of humor that fundamentally logically makes no sense. So there might be anachronism, slapstick, fast, especially in, in, in his cinema and making use of the, of the coarseness of Cantonese um, surreal moments. It breaks the fourth wall. It's not that he invented this style. And when we talk about further watching, I'll give you another actress that um that you can follow up um so it's kind of fast paced crazy and also at times quite postmodern. uh well, sorry it's, it's sort of rooted in modernity so there'll be things that we watch that we won't understand because we're not living in hong kong today um so that can be both fascinating and frustrating when watching as a westerner and the other thing is you may hear talk about the sing girls which are a collection of actresses that have basically got their big break by starring in a Stephen Chow film. Um, people like Cecilia Chung, Eva Huang, Kitty Zhang, um, and also quite often he seems to be romantically involved with them, but, you know, I'm not a gossip. Um, 
but you'll also find in his films people like the, the, his co-star tonight, Karen Mock, Kingdom Yuen, and Charlotte Chung, who are stars in and of their own right. And you'll even, if you dig a, to the odd film here and there, you'll find some of the superstars, uh, Maggie Chung Man Yuk, Gong Li, and Anita Mui, all appear in one or more of his movies. Um, so, quick rundown, some of the films that I think are important so he uh like i say initially got rejected for being too short by tvb went on 430 space shuttle as a children's tv show actually appeared in a number of films and actually won an award for his sort of first role in final in a role in a film called final justice in 1988 but it was a straight film and it wasn't until 1990 where he starred in a uh, film called all for the winner which is a um, basically it's a parody of Chow Yun Fat's God of Gamblers, and not only was, did, did he out, come out as a you know as a, as a as a star in his own right in that film, the uh, famous Wong Jing, the uh, producer director of the Roger Corman of Hong Kong, shall we say, pick, picked up on him, got him to appear in the official God of Gamblers sequel, and then headline the third film in the um in, in in the trilogy so yeah he in a weird thing that probably could only happen in hong kong cinema is that a parody ended up the star of the parody ended up starring in the in the main films themselves um he also in this in that film he his first time he paired with ung man tat who um again was in tonight's film who's probably in 80 percent of the of the films that uh that, that, that he's famous for um so that was the first one then he went on to go into his sort of first uh, what's, uh, set, set of films so the fight back to school series which um pretty much like 21 jump street he's a policeman who is sent back to fake it as a student to uh i think it's to deal with drug dealers or bullying or something like that you get the idea very popular first film's excellent the other two aren't bad um he then his career carried on he appeared in a couple of famous uh lunar lunar comedies then there's a series of period set comedies uh, my favorite of which is justice my foot but there's <laughs> flirting scholar and a few others which you know he, he takes um like the famous sort of historical figures and uh puts a, a sort of a modern comedic bent on it um his first direction uh, uh, sort of first first film as a director love on delivery which is an absolute favorite of mine but the, it's probably a bit too hardcore hong kong comedies for um for the for the uninitiated but um then we get the series of films which um he he suddenly goes up a notch she starts making less films but they're much better quality so we'll start with the james bond spoof from beijing with love um which i think is probably his most accessible movie to to the westerners because we understand what he's riffing on um the his his utterly fantastic journey to the west duology the chinese odyssey part one pandora's box and part two cinderella which are must watches 
We then go to tonight's film, The God of Cookery, which suddenly, although is riffing very much on, on the sort of films he was doing in the past, has a darkness to it, which I think we'll probably talk about. It's certainly a dark moment, which which is a stepping stone for him um, as, a, as, as an artist. And then he goes to The King of Comedy, which is also known as the one which not a lot of people think is very funny, but <laughs> I actually think is absolutely fantastic it's most it's probably his most mature work then internationally he broke out with Shaolin soccer he finally got hold of cgi and was able to realize some of his crazier ideas and in the days before youtube people honestly that didn't know about asian cinema was sending around as email attachments clips from Shaolin soccer so it was a it, it really did sort of break him into an international audience then there's a film which i suspect is elwood's favorite kung fu hustle um which is his sort of love letter to shaw brothers films and 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 the like I'm not a fan, actually, but uh, everyone else seems to love it. So the list of things we disagree about is growing. We're one episode <laughs> into the year. She said, "I know. <laughs> I, 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 I personally find it. It's his character I dislike. I think his character succeeds through no, um, for no reason." he doesn't have a journey. So one of the things we will find, and I guess we might talk about tonight, he does have a common quite a common threaded story so either he's a uh quite a naive to start or he's a horrible arrogant person to start he has a fall and it's usually the story of his fall and then his rise up to uh after after having usually some kind of buddhist related um realization and becomes a better person because of it but i just don't think he had that in kung fu hustle and then probably that was the end um, he made another film called CJ7 after that, based on that. And I love CJ7. CJ7 is a kid's film. <laughs> it's It's got a cuddly little alien in it, and it's got J.C. Wu acting as a, as a little boy. Um, it is not what people were expecting. Um, and then he kind of fell off the radar for about 10 years. Um, he did co-direct another Journey to the West type film, um, which it made a lot of money, but isn't spectacular I mean, Shaquit's in it I mean, how and then, many Journey to the West movies do we need well there are <laughs> a lot how many how many Legends of the Condor uh, Condor TV shows do we need I mean oh. yeah it's it's a classic thing however um, two years ago now he came back in style with The Mermaid um, which at the time was the highest grossing Chinese film ever it also marked the first time he'd worked in mandarin but he directed it he didn't star in it but i it was my film of the year that in 2016 i thought it was a a fantastic return to form has he followed up on it not quite yet because guess what he co-directed with troy hark another journey to the west film which wasn't very good (laughs) or not not a things it ought to be so basically there you go there's a there's a solid body of work i've covered some 10 11 films there which i think are fairly essential there are probably another 30 in various parts he's gone in but the the, the important thing is there is a common theme to his films um and i think god of cookery which is why i've chosen it tonight i think it's not necessarily anyone's top three stephen chow films but i think it embodies everything about his work in an easily accessible bite-sized morsel. Cool. 
Um, Kim, I mean, obviously your experience with Stephen Chow, I mean, was, was there a particular film which started this interest in his work, or was it just uh, through the general sort of releases that you just stumbled across his work every time something new came out? Actually, Stephen Chow is, like, me and my cousin's collective thing that we like to do. Um, uh, Stephen didn't mention it, but uh, our favorite movie in our family is... Um, Tricky Brains. Yeah, so Tricky Brains is one that our family, we watch our cousins whenever we sit together. We will, we, when we were kids, we would just watch it. We would just put it on and watch it. And it's such a great movie. It's, like, really fun, really entertaining. And, um, you know, there's that. And then there's, like, All's Well, Ends Well. And um, one of my first um, theater experiences when I was in Hong Kong was inappropriately flirt uh flirty scholar uh like that yeah so like i went to go see that i was like eight <laughs> i didn't understand anything that was going on <laughs> i only knew it was stephen chow and i liked the guy so i was sitting there <laughs> so 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 tricky brains is is one of his sort of wong jing era films but again it's it's a stargazer's classic it's got you got andy lao you've got rosamund kwan yeah ching ching yao um uh, and and Stephen Chow, so so absolutely, it's. Um, but I, I just I feel that's probably one for the uh, for the locals rather than the uh, yeah the, so those of us looking in. Yeah, that's definitely it. You know, you gave like you you're like Mole Tao is what you call the the type of humor he has. And for us, I understand that I actually explained it to my husband the first time we were going to sit down and watch a Stephen Chow movie. I called it absurd humor. Um, it's something that I've coined for it. Because it's just so so nonsensical, and um, it does get lost in translation a lot. Um, there's a lot of puns that I get, and you know, I think one of the classics that I always bring up um, is you know, uh, in God of Gamblers, there's this part where they talk about like aces, and then he pulls up like five cigarettes, and it's just because cigarettes and ace is said the same way in Chinese. So, like, Westerners watching this would be like, what the heck does that mean? You know, there's yeah, nothing funny that's... about it. And then, like, I'd be the one cracking up, and my husband is, like, question marks all around his head. Like, what is she laughing at, you know? Yeah, that's very true. The 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 journey to the, the Pandora's Box and Cinderella movies are, are full of that as well, and it just flies over my head. And it was quite interesting. If you, if I ever get to watch a Stephen Chow movie in a cinema, say say in London, full of Chinese people, their laughter are belly laughs <laughs> because <laughs> because especially Cantonese. Cantonese is a is a complicated, filthy language, yes. full of full of lots of homonyms and synonyms and things like that, and and and, and idioms. And uh, I think he plays on that really well. But for a Westerner, it's more the visual that we're getting. You know, we're still able to understand that something's obs- absurd or mm-hmm. crazy, but what we don't get and the, the frustration for me is that i don't understand cantonese um so i know i'm missing 40 percent of what's going on okay i mean would you say it's lost in translation style of humor that is the reason that he's not had more films brought over to western audiences and that we've sort of just been left with these two films uh obviously shallon soccer and kung fu hustle i mean the mermaid as I mentioned already didn't get a uh, release over here in the uk I'm not sure if it got a release in the States, obviously, because uh probably have more chance of reaching its audience uh, in the States than it would over here. I mean, do you, can you sort of pinpoint any particular reason why we haven't seen more of his films sort of 
transferred over and translated for Western audiences? Well, I, I think it's because, on the whole, he doesn't work in the realms of the genres of horror or of action or things like that, which which sometimes can... You, you can you can handle the subtitles because lots of explosions or scares going on. Mm. I mean, his 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 style, his humour. So again, tonight, when the film we'll look at, it's absolutely embedded in Hong Kong. The locations it uses, the the the, the characters, as one note as they may be, are absolutely Hong Kong, and they don't necessarily translate well. And one of the things I always wonder is how he actually got so popular in um, in mainland China. Because I'm certain a lot of those things which which Kim was talking about, a lot of that, that language doesn't translate to Mandarin either. So unless it's about the character, the ca- the characters, it doesn't work. Though I mean, I mean the written characters, uh, the, the actual vocal stuff. Because when I've been in Hong Kong, um, mainlanders don't understand it. They understand less than me because because <laughs> Mandarin is so different to Cantonese. Um, so. Uh, yeah, I, I think I think it's just because it's just so embedded. So there's one thing having a John Woo movie or a Joy Hart movie, which involves martial arts or and, and sort of dashing action. But I think I think humour is absolutely embedded in both the language and the culture of Hong Kong. So Shaolin soccer worked because it's about football. It's that that's the sport of the world. Even in America, they know what soccer is, right? Um, but it, it, it just did that, and then I think. Kung Fu Hustle probably came in on the coattails of that, but of course, Kung Fu movies from Bruce Lee onwards have an audience in the West as well. So those were the those were the two which made it. And then he stopped. <laughs> you know, he 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 stopped making films. Um, so I guess he's probably architect of his own downfall. Now, interestingly, well, I don't know about downfall. I think he's very rich and very happy actually. But uh, he did. Um, there was talk of a Western remake of God of Cookery. Um, got quite advanced, and he was going to come over and, and direct it. And Jim Carrey was up for the uh, to, to play the main role, but it didn't happen. Now, actually, if we again, if we're wanting someone to sort of try and balance out that sort of Ace Ventura era, Jim Carrey might be someone. Might have been actually quite a good. Uh, analog for Stephen Chow but uh, didn't happen so we never know and it's probably best that way yeah I mean uh, certainly at the moment Stephen Chow just seems to be happy being a producer and because everything I can see is it's all more Journey to the West and I mentioned already I mean with Journey to the West it is currently getting a western remake the remake in Monkey I believe at the moment or Journey to the West I can't remember which title they've gone with but I know they're featuring an all uh it's an all-American cast. There is no Asian actors in the cast, from what I can see. And, I mean, I obviously have to question, I mean, is it offensive to do the story of Monkey without uh, Asian actors? I mean, we've already obviously had Monkey translated over here in the UK, and it had kind of, uh, how can I say, racially unsensitive uh, dubbing to it. Uh, but at the same time, it was still keeping keeping all the dialogue that it wasn't changing it and trying to dumb it down for Western audiences. I mean, Stephen Kim, I mean, would you say it's, it's a sort of story that has to be told with uh, Asian actors or can it, can it be uh, produced with just Western actors? Well, I think that, you know, 
I think asking me is a little bit hard because I feel like I'm biased a little because Journey to the West is something that I grew up with. It's a very popular story that stems from a lot of Chinese legends and um, a lot of like really colorful characters, but still embeds a lot into, you know, some characters are very influenced by like, say, Buddhism or just that sort of um, just like goddesses and stuff like that. And, you know, it depends what angle they take and what type of story they want to tell. I think that really, um, I think that there is enough, you know, if you really dug, you would be able to find, you know, some um, American born Chinese or something who could do this, who, who would probably be able to take the role on fairly well, you know, just off the top of my head, you know, um, the guy from uh, edge of 17, you know, um, he's a good actor. He could have done that, you know? Um, So, I just, I just don't know the fascination, and like, I don't. I think it really depends what angle they take. It's, it's, it's kind of like you know, whenever you watch something and then it, it's supposed to be Asian and it's not, then you always feel a little bit empty watching it because it doesn't, doesn't appeal as much. Yeah, Stephen. I mean, do you have any strong thoughts on retelling the story of Monkey again, or? Uh, well. <laughs> Like it's one of those, it, I I don't mind people retelling stories of Monkey. I don't mind the the wider journey to the West. I don't mind anybody doing anything really, as long as you do it well. I don't even mind doing a non Asian version of it and embedding it in some other uh, framework. Yeah, you can tell the same story in another framework. Asian films do it as well. They take Western stories and make. Mm-hmm. Um, Asian bedded versions of them. I think what I have a problem with is if they ha- if this film has all the trappings of an Asian film with a white or n- certainly a non-Asian cast, I'd find that quite bizarre. <laughs> yeah. um, and that would be so. We talked about when we talked about Ghost in the Shell. I wasn't bothered that they had de-Asianified Ghost in the Shell because the story wasn't dependent on that. If this story is dependent on being in the Asian supercontinent and in Buddhism and all those other things, then it just feels a bit weird <laughs> and a bit yeah. wrong. Yeah. Um, I mean, certainly if we, if you're going to remake it, at least do something interesting with it, uh, such as like we saw with the game in Slave Journey to the West which was Andy Serkis basically gave it a um, a futuristic take uh, on it, which obviously had monkey battling robots as he made his way through like a post-apocalyptic New York. Um, it's still really, really good. And it's still something that I would love to have seen him turn into some sort of feature film, but unfortunately the game kind of flew under the radar and they never actually did anything else with it. But I think if you're going to do something with it, don't, First of all, don't cast Western actors playing Asian roles. Um, and second, just do something interesting with the material. Uh, that's that's all I ask. I suppose I've always got the water margin for them to leave alone and just leave in its perfect form. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. And uh, no doubt me and Stephen are going to find more things to argue about. But when we return, we are going to obviously be looking at tonight's selection, which is uh, Stephen Charles' The God of Cookery. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Cinema Recall Podcast here at ThatMomentIn.com. 
I am your host, The Vern, and on each episode, myself, along with a guest, will be talking about an iconic scene from a classic movie. Which films will we be discussing? Well, that's all up to you, because before each episode airs, we're going to be giving you a poll of great flits to choose from. Whichever one gets the most votes, that's the one we'll be talking about. So, listen to the Cinema Recall Podcast on the site thatmomentin.com, or on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, or Podomatic, or SoundCloud. Thank you very much, and hope you enjoy it. And we're back. Uh, you, of course, just do listen to the Asian Cinema Film Club. I'm, of course, your host, Edward Jones, and joining me still is, of course, Stephen. Hello. And our special guest host for this evening, Miss Kim Lowe. Hey. Um, tonight we are obviously talking about the 1996 Stephen Chow movie, The God of Cookery. I mean, Stephen, this is your pick. Uh, so, I mean, why did you go with Stephen Chow for your pick this month? Okay, well, well, obviously, I think, I guess, as I said in the first half, I might be a bit of a Stephen Chow obsessive. But um, I think one of the things that I want, again, you know, in my writing is that I always want to show that there's more to Asian cinema than kung fu movies and long-haired ghost girls. And one of and one of the things that I do find is um, a bit absent sometimes, again, as we took it earlier, is about comedy. And... Uh, because of the nature of comedy sometimes being stuck in culture and language. But I think, you know, Stephen Chow has proved that some of his stuff has, can cross the borders and cross the barriers. And I just think this is a key Stephen Chow movie because it's, 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 it's when he suddenly became much more... Uh, the, the, even though he's only a... Let's, let's not kid ourselves, he didn't direct this. He's, he's down as the co-director. Clearly, he just directed some of the comedy sequences um but there's a maturity about this one so for example you know it starts as as the as the film people say in media res and then we go back in time to find out how we got there um there's yeah there's some clever stuff there's some beautiful photography of um food as well so you'll get hungry watching this one but it's got a fairly standard story there's nothing too complex going on and even if you don't get all the all the filthy jokes um You'll certainly get what's going on. It's fairly fast-paced, and um, I, I, I think it's Chow in a nutshell in terms of the character arc that his that his character goes through. Yeah, I mean, obviously, uh, this is. I think this is probably one of his more overlooked uh, films when we obviously talk about the Stephen Chow back catalogue, and even more so because this was actually one of the one few ones that actually did get that Western release. And for myself, it was a film I discovered through Jonathan Ross. Um, he was doing a series of programs where he was looking at uh, Japanese cinema, Korean cinema, and Hong Kong cinema. And he actually met with Stephen Chow in it. And he was saying about how he really liked uh, Got a Cookery, but though he didn't actually understand most of what was going on. And uh, Stephen Chow didn't seem kind of a little dismissive of this one. So it's, I'm not sure what his sort of particular feelings are on uh, Got a Cookery, but here he actually plays Stephen Chow, but I'm right in saying that it's a different spelling of the name. Is that right, Kim? Yes. Um, and he's basically this celebrity chef who is sort of become the self-proclaimed God of Cookery, and in doing so, he's now really arrogant and cocky, and he's just a general ass to, <laughs> to all his fellow <laughs> chefs who 
we see at the beginning he's just there dismissing and finding faults with all their dishes and he basically gets unsurped by uh, another chef called Bull Tong played by uh, Vincent Cook Vincent Cock Vincent Cock see I'm pausing just because I know I'm pronouncing these wrong I'm just waiting to be called out on it so um, and he's basically sent back into the slums and he has to find a way to retrain and battle his way up to reclaim his title as being the king of sorry the god of cookery and uh, insanity ensues I think is the safe way to say because this is a truly bonkers film even as a westerner watching it and not perhaps not understanding all the humour just the actual visual elements of this film are just absolutely insane and especially when we get into the finale which I can't help but wonder if the makers of Ratatouille drew inspiration from this film because they're oh, startlingly I... <laughs> similar um, I would have thought I mean we have, what we have here is a literal deuces machina don't we and the, <laughs> the, the, the gods literally appear and sort everything <laughs> out um, this, 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 is, this, is, this is classical Greek theatre at its purest <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, Kim, what's your sort of opening thoughts on God of Cookery? I'm going to be really honest that um, God of Cookery actually uh, took, I think, one or two, like, at least a second or third watch for me to really appreciate it, um, which is something that I can't say for King of Comedy, because I, I don't like that one at all. Um, so... I mean, God of Cookery is really fun. I think that's that's the word to say, like, um, to use, because it's just really out there. Um, like, you know, he, he meets these, like, odd characters and this odd triads, and they're not really triads because they're just fighting over, like, who sells what at the market. <laughs> and it's just, you know, it's it really kind of, like, flips around what you expect will be next. And then, like, he, he you know, he, he plays his classic, you know, um, he kind of, like, really gets back into a lot of, like, his earlier roles and the type of humor he had then. And I don't know. I, 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 I like it now. I like it quite a bit because there's just so many, like, nice characters that also support him, you know, um. You know, like uh, Mantat uh, Ng, and then there's like, um, you know, Karen Mock was, you know, great uh, in this. And I don't, I don't know if this is one of the first roles he's done. He's done with Karen Mock, um, and just you know, well, he you did, see, um, he did. Uh, she's in the Journey to the West pair, which he basically made around this. So she, right. she did, she did quite a lot of films, but this was obviously a key time. I think they were quite friendly at the time. Yeah, well, they they still remain friends, right? I mean, in the Mermaid, she did the 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 song, the the main song yeah. for for that too. Um, so you know, like you can really see that the whole cast was having a ton of fun as they were doing this, and you know, you see a lot of characters that really like appear in a lot of his movies, and I think that that's one of the fun things about Stephen Chow is that you know. Um, he, in, in, I don't know if you guys know, but in like the Hong Kong industry, he's not known as like a great person to work with. He's actually quite frustrating to work with. He doesn't have a good title in that sense. Um, he's kind of an ass in all terms <laughs> and it's because of his demand for perfection that he's like that. And that's why he's so hard to work with. But you see that he's built friendships with a lot of actors that actually really like to be in films with him and really have a lot of fun just 
making different films together. And God of Cookery really kind of like puts that all together. And I really like, you know, as I watch this more, I start appreciating all these moments that, you know, is so unexpected, you know, like Nancy sit just breaks out in a dance in the middle of like the thing. And you're just like, what the heck is going on? <laughs> so maybe actually, so, so that's something that, that, that's something maybe you could help with Kim. Cause I know who Nancy sit is, but I think, to uh to common garden westerner she's going to mean nothing and yes. having her prance around as the you know it's hilarious what she's doing but i think i think to a lot of people they won't get the actual madness of that scene because of who she is is that fair to say i would say that yeah i mean but i i i think that like hong kong cinema is so much and nancy was really like key in in a lot of like TVB series, which is like you know the 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 main TV channel in Hong Kong that people don't know about, and they would have these like they have like the leading TV series, obviously. And it's I actually think it's kind of rare to see her in in movies, but then I'm not very familiar with like really old Hong Kong movies as well, so um, I might be mistaken on that. Well, she I mean she was she was a. Uh bonafide film star but you're absolutely right i mean in modern day she's a she's a sort of a beloved um same way we might consider she's a national treasure same way we might consider something yeah. like someone like um uh, stephen fry in the uk you know some, some, somebody who's who's part of the furniture he's on tv every day um I think she does chat shows, she does TVB dramas and that kind of yeah. thing, you know. She, and when and when she's ill, the whole country worries about her, that kind of thing. Well, but I think it, I think it's important for people to understand is that um, Hong Kong entertainment is a really big part of everybody's lives. And um, I remember when big stars, you know, all the big stars that in, in Hong Kong that got affected, you know, Anita Mui and Leslie Chung and their deaths. And even like, you know... Um, I don't, I don't know if she's very popular, uh, but anyway, I forgot her name. <laughs> I forgot her English name, at least. And just these people, when they pass away, the country, like, the, the, the city mourns over them, you know? It's a big deal. Um, I mean, it, it's, you know, it's such a key um, factor, you know? Like, it doesn't really reach a lot of people, but, uh, like, outside of Hong Kong. But I think that, you know, Hong Kong cinema really... Um, has a nice foundation where it is. No, no, especially, no, absolutely. Yeah, especially yeah. In 90s films. <laughs> cool. And just obviously getting into the various dishes that we see here. I mean, this is the whole competition is kind of like a Iron Chef situation. Which really amused me actually talking about Iron Chef is because obviously Iron Chef's headed up by Mark Dacos, uh, who, to people like myself, is known for like his appearances in like drive and uh he played the role of Alex draven in the crow tv series and yet there's a whole other group of people who just know him as iron chef um and not as an actual martial artist so that amuses me greatly but the dishes that we have here i mean are these real dishes or is this just weird things that stephen chow's imagination well, i think they're oh. certainly based, they're based on real dishes aren't they Oh no, they are actual real dishes. Um, they're they're um, highly like, especially like that Buddhist wall thing. I forgot what they call it because I didn't watch it with the English translation. <laughs> um, jumping wall. 
Yeah, that one. Yeah, that is an actual. That is actual like fancy dish. You know, like it's it's you you pay good money to eat that because it takes a long time to make. Um, so is that the is that the one with all the thousands of ingredients in it? Uh, yes, that's the one that um, Boltong makes. Yeah, because that is that's um, that that's that's actually from sort of the Buddhist. The, the buddhist history yeah. the idea was you know it's all got this meats in it and and that's the test as a, as a true buddhist vegetarian could you not eat that thing with all these delicious meats in it so it's it's yeah. it's real but he's putting a spin on it for the uh yeah. for the laugh <laughs> yes and uh also we got <laughs> my personal favorite and this is why i wondered if there was an issue with the translation here and it's like pissing <laughs> pissing beef balls um, which he, he combines out of beef balls, uh, which I assume would be like the sweet and sour pork balls uh, that we get over here, and pissing shrimp, which I've never heard of. <laughs> yeah, um, I've never actually had pissing shrimp, um, but it is an actual uh, thing. Um, it, the, the, the thing that happens is actually very similar to what happens when they eat a pissing beef ball, is that when you um, when you bite into it, it kind of like leaks. <laughs> I don't know how to say that. Um, and um, I've never tried it before. Maybe I will. I, I don't know. Um, but uh, yeah, so it, it it's it's actually very reminiscent of like I think it's very accurate. Piss, pissing beef balls is a nice way to translate it. I wouldn't have done any better. Um, so, but it, it, it's just, you know, it, it, it also helps to make it so absurd, right? Because, um, it, it gives it that like very visual, um, humor to it. Yeah. And, and it's, you know, and it's basically, you know, it's, it's Hong Kong street food. Yeah. So, yeah. but balls, balls of, balls of bits of odd meat on sticks. That's yes. what they like. Yeah. So usually it's fish balls. I think is what I've had out there. Um, but it, it, it's it's really, it really is yeah, the pissing shrimp is a real thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and and in an interesting in trail fa- uh, fashion, I mean, he go ends up at the Shaolin the Shaolin Temple. The Shaolin Temple is where he's going to find his redemption and get into like true warrior mode. And why the Shaolin Temple? And more more to the point, why do we have a monk called Wet Dream? okay so i i i think that it's important to know that whenever um uh uh Tat lao is in anything he he is ridiculous like in the most hilarious way and the most absurd way. And I think that that is really how he fits in a lot of movies. <laughs> and I don't know why he's called Wet Dream. <laughs> but I think in, in, in the term, it's just it's just a funny thing to add in. <laughs> yeah. There's, there's so many quirks with Stephen Chow movies, such as, like, why does his female leads that always got some physical flaw i mean when we look at mm-hmm. uh we look at shallon soccer the the love interest in that she's she's kind of plain um looking to the least and then when we obviously look at turkey in this film and she's got the scar down the left side of her face um is it why is Stephen chow insisting on making these 
less than perfect uh, love interest for his characters. I think he's more interested in having pretty ladies around him, to be honest with you. But <laughs> maybe maybe it's to mirror his character's own um, his own change. But you're right, yeah, Vicky Zhao in, in Shaolin Soccer is all scarred up, isn't she? And yeah. uh, and suddenly she becomes uh, beautiful again, although it's a bit like you can't really hide something so it's a bit silly uh, but, uh, it is it is it is it is strange but i mean but you know isn't karen mock isn't your um isn't your classic hong kong girl to be fair anyway i mean she's uh she's a girl of many races that one um she's about an eighth welsh so we'll claim her for our own but she's i mean she's she, she, again she's a she's a big star she's a big singing star not just as an actress so um she's not a sing girl i would say she was she was a big star before that but yeah she's great because she doesn't seem to mind hiding behind those ridiculous teeth and the scars and the uh yeah quite creepy character that she is (laughs) well when they had that staring contest at the beginning when they're they're two two characters meet and they're arguing over the over the noodles and is, uh, it's, noodle, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's just so unusual the interactions his characters have at times. Um, but I mean, you mentioned already, I mean, she's obviously a, a singer as well as an actress. I mean, when we look at Stephen Chow again, it's, this, why, I'm not sure why it is, in, especially in Hong Kong cinema, that you can't be an actor, you can't be a director, you have to have all these different hats. I mean, Stephen Chow, his listed amongst his many skills is he is a director an actor producer political advisor to the chinese people's political consultative conference and martial artist um kim why do why do hong kong actors have to wear so many hats why can't they just do one thing well so i'm gonna i'm gonna share something with you that um that's been actually around for maybe over 10 years now and um actually one of the uh one of the, I think he was either a songwriter, um, Jim Wong or something like that. I, I can't remember his English name. Uh, before he died, he actually uh, went to have his master's and a PhD or whatever. And in his art, he wrote about the entertainment business. And he wrote about the downfall of the Hong Kong industry. And it is exactly for those reasons Um He was explaining how back in the days, you know, when cinema first started in Hong Kong, there was, you know, um, you know, just 60s, 70s kind of thing. Um, You really had actors who were actors, actresses who just did everything they were good at. You know, everyone focused on the things they were good at. And then, you know, halfway through the 80s and 90s, you start seeing people um, being influenced by commercialism and just having to be in the public eye all the time because things were changing so fast. And, you know, that was when the downfall started happening, that everybody couldn't just have one avenue of income. You needed to have multiple avenue of incomes because your value as an actor came in all the ways you can bring in the money. And that's how people ended up being singers and actors. And they needed to do all these things in order to succeed in the business because they needed to be in the public all the time. So that the idea is that the public won't forget them. But um, that was also what caused somewhat of a downfall of the Hong Kong industry where, you know, the quality of things started decreasing. And um, 
you know, I, I agree with a lot of that. You know, I, I think that, you know, some people really force into taking so many hats. I don't I don't really see why that has to be done. But at the at the standpoint of the companies, I guess it keeps them competitive and it keeps their stars always making money for them. Yeah, I mean, it fascinates fascinates me when we obviously t- look at some of the the mainstream stars of Hong Kong cinema, especially those who have had, transferred over and had Western appeal as well. Uh, the fact that we view them as being these clean cut actor types, when we look at like Jackie Chan, Summer Hung, we just you know we assume that they're just sort of these clean cut martial arts uh, types and you know revered. Samuel Hung more than. Ja- uh, Samuel Hung more than Jackie Chan. <laughs> Jackie Chan actually uh, did uh, was uh, partially a singer for a while, so he has a few songs and he had an album that came out and stuff like that. So he wasn't, you know, he had his focus. Oh, he was he, always the best, he, and yeah, he's still doing it, Kim. So this foreigner yeah. film, I, I watched that the other day, and in the Chinese version, he sings the song over the closing credits. <laughs> 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 not not yeah. in the Western version, but you know, he he still he still warbles a tune at his ripe old age of whatever he is. Oh, yeah, he does mm-hmm. the same in Thunderball as well. His uh, his take on Fast and Furious. Um, mm. He sings <laughs> whenever he sings the theme tune. I just think of that little Britain sketch. It's like, oh, I sing the theme tune. <laughs> so um yeah it's just funny funny when we obviously uh, well i was thinking was when i was speaking to yourself kim and you were were talking about like jackie chan and stuff and you're saying no they're quite heavily involved in like scandalous lives over in in uh hong kong and that so yeah yeah (laughs) Yeah, i I remember i remember it's a small island right there's there's a lot of people live there but not that many and and it's a very culturally you know being cantonese it's culturally very different to the rest of asia so there's obviously the western mixing and stuff but they love a scandal mag and and, and you know they, they, they still you know you can still suffer from a scandal but i suggest maybe not as much as you would if you were a mainland chinese actor or actress I have to say, get we never hear about this i mean if you have like if someone over like western actor has a scandal then everyone seems to know about it, no matter where you are in the world. If a uh, Hong Kong actor has a scandal, we don't seem to hear about it. We don't hear about. I like, promise you, the multiple wives all, and multiple. It's families all over the interwebs, mate. There are websites I can point you at that are full of the scandal and the gossip, <laughs> and that's exactly how. And that's exactly how I know that no one actually likes Stephen Chow. <laughs> yeah, he's he's he's. He, I, I mean, Kim said it nicely about that. He's you know, it's just because he's very exacting, but actually, it's quite a lot to do with his um, avarice and his love of money and he's treated some people that were his friends like Ng Tat quite badly which is why he wasn't in the mermaid and and various other people and actually you know when we said that you know, Karen Mock has actually spoken out in defense of him quite a lot that's been quite a lot recently as well she's been one of the few people to to maintain a friendship with him so uh, but you're, you 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 can you can find the scandal mags and google chrome does a good um a good job of translating so. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I guess it's just that it's just that you know that they're not necessarily certainly the, the sort of the, the B level people aren't necessarily in our consciousness, so it doesn't spread around unless it's Edison Wong and his camera. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, that that rightfully killed him. So that was like you know he's gone. He's never coming back. He's never making a comeback. That guy is out. Forever. 
Absolutely. There was no way he was coming back from it. He ruined so many marriages and so many lives, and it was it was just you know, it, 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 I, and it was just and it was just over like one dumb decision, you know. Absolutely. So so Elwood doesn't know what the heck we're talking about. <laughs> no, I'm about to say this is all completely new to me. It's... So so there was a Edison Wong was a sort of one of the young up and coming Edison Chen. Edison Chen, sorry, my. My bad, yeah, Edison Chen. He he was he um I can't think he but he was in um quite a lot of sort of early nineties early nineties, mid nineties films. I think late nineties. He's uh he's he's about Nicholas Che age. Yeah, so he's a he's a contemporary of Nicholas Che. And um he was a bit of a I want to say ladies man, but that's that adds him an air of Terry Thomas and gentleman about him, but no, he was a horrible little oik that um took photos of the ladies that he slept with and they got out and quite a lot of quite famous people were hugely embarrassed but luckily as kim rightly says he's the one that's really suffered out of it in the end mm-hmm. cool. but you know that was so that was a big scan that would have been that was all over the papers and, and the internet and and the news sites and so they they have them. I imagine if it, I imagine exactly the same thing had happened here, but something very similar would have happened. Nice. Um, I mean, do we have anything else to say about God of Cookery? I mean, I mean, Kim, does God of Cookery? I mean, if you attempted to recreate anything from it, because I know you obviously do your cooking and things over on your blog, and you did give me a really good recipe for pho. So thank you again uh-huh. for that. <laughs> uh, I mean. I don't know. I mean, God of Cookery is is good. <laughs> I don't know. I don't have any fancy words for God of Cookery. I just, I just, I just like it the way it is. I mean, it, it is about food, which is a big plus on my side. You know, um, I mean, I, I think that Hong Kong should make more movies about food. <laughs> That's just a personal opinion. <laughs> Absolutely. And one of the, one of the things I like about so so talk to a little bit about the street food with the with the piffing pissing piffing pissing a beef balls but also you know the the final meal that he makes is a very almost plain rice and is it roast pork yeah. roast goose can't remember i mean the first day i went to hong kong the first meal i had was a bowl of rice with roast with half with, with roast goose and roast pork plain simple and it was one of the best meals i ever had and again to me that's, that's hong kong cuisine really in a nutshell, sort of very good but basic standard foods. So all yeah. that fancy stuff around it, actually what he's grabbed is at the core, it's the basic hearty food of the common people mm-hmm. is, is what he's going for. I also love the film because it, it's it got places which I love in in Hong Kong. So it's it spends some time in, in Central with the skyscrapers and it's all very familiar landscape to me the temple street market where the fortune tellers are um and also they don't show all the tap being sold but they (laughs) they may they may make it a bit better and then the 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 competitions held in aberdeen where the floating fish restaurants are which is a very iconic site so you know i i just think this may be of all his films it's the most one that's, that's almost a love letter to hong kong in the way that some of the others maybe could be transplanted to other places Nice. Um, on to further viewing, uh, what would you pair this with? I mean, 
Kim, I mean, do you, what would you, if someone does like God of Cookie, what would you recommend they watch next? I was actually really stumped by you asking me that. Um, because I have, like, the most generic movie, and I think everybody's seen it, so I don't know. Like, I would pair this with Shaolin Soccer, honestly. Um, just for the fact that, you know, there's, like, that Shaolin element that links together, and um, he plays a very uh, kind of similar kind of role. Um, there's kind of, like, that same sort of, like, um, you know, not-so-pretty love interest who, you know, becomes very inspiring for him. Uh, that sort of thing. Um you know, there's a lot of characters that kind of blend. And I really think that, you know, I actually think Shaolin Soccer was kind of like the mirror of God of Cookery, but for the Western world and, you know, and the CGI. And I, I, I actually think I would pair those two together. Cool. Uh, Stephen, what do you want to pair with it? Okay, so I'm going to cheat. I'm going to do a Stephen Chow movie and another movie. <clears throat> so, um, obviously, I listed a lot of Stephen Chow movies, and Shaolin Soccer, actually, is one of my favourites as well. Um, and I brain's just gone. I've forgotten what I was going to pair it with. Um, yes, so so I'm going to go back. So, if you, if, you, if you get it, if you get God of Cookery and you can see beyond all the the stuff which is hard for us to understand in the West... My absolute favourite of his is Love and Delivery, which is really molded, is, is really weird. But there's a lovely narrative to it. There's, there's, if you could handle a strange character with a Garfield mask on coming at you and people doing <laughs> judo and lots of it doesn't make any sense but it is the classic um stephen chow movie in the sense that he starts from nothing can then become something and it's it's just got a lovely cast and i just think it's really entertaining but i do think it, it's sort of a, a second level movie you you need to have understood something like shaolin soccer or god of cookery first the other film i would um recommend is i suggested that Stephen Chow didn't invent this style of cinema and he's not the only practitioner of it, he's just the most famous. And I'm hoping Kim knows who I'm, I'm going to talk about, Carol Dodo Cheng. Yes. Um, so who's, I guess, uh, she predates him a little, um, but her her Fatal Ways films, I think, are excellent, especially the first one. Um, very... Um, uh, in, in a very similar vein in terms of the comedy she, she's brilliant she's to my mind i think she's probably the finest hong kong female comedian on film everyone can disagree if they want and her fatal ways is especially excellent because it's dealing with the pre-handover crisis that Hong Kongers will be having of, of what's going to happen when the mainland Chinese take over in 97. Um, but it's a really entertaining film with that backdrop on it. And it just shows you that Stephen Chow isn't the only funny person in Hong Kong. <laughs> cool. um, for myself, I'm not going to choose a Stephen Chow movie. I'm instead going to go for the Summer Hong directed Meals on Wheels, the Jackie Chan film from 1984. Um, again, stars Jackie Chan and Yoin Bro. And this is probably one of the first Jackie Chan movies I saw and obviously ties in to the theme of food here because it sees uh, Jackie Chan running a fast food van in Barcelona. And, I mean, this film is just so fun. I mean, it's at the height of Jackie Chan's power. So, I mean, he's here doing the films like this and Project A. And there's just so much inventiveness in this film. Um, and 
this is obviously not even taking into account that we have like one of the um, standout uh, martial arts scenes of all time, which is obviously Jackie Chan fighting uh, Benny the Jet, uh, the famous kickboxer, uh, and it's just such a great and fun little film from uh, Golden Harvest. And I, I just, I just think if you always talk about Jackie Chan, most people tend to just seem to focus for some reason nowadays on what every brought out in the west or films like rush hour and see that as being the standard and i always say no you've got to go back and like look at his films he was doing through god and harvest or so things like meals and wheels and the aforementioned project a police story especially um and i think this in particular is just it reminds you why jackie chance is revered and popular as he is um especially as he now i don't know what's going on with jackie chan's career to be honest i don't know if he's getting better or he's sort of plateaued at this point I've yet to see The Foreigner so Stephen I mean is The Foreigner any good it's alright okay I know it's on it's alright right. no 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 it's it's absolutely fine if if you know if you want to watch a a, a pretty good well directed action movie starring a septuagenarian no that's unfair he's actually Jackie Chan's actually really good in it and he's playing against type I just think the film is um as Mr. Beat because the bad guys are basically the IRA but in the modern day and so it's I think I just, I just think it's not relevant it's picked the wrong bad guys and and then then everyone starts looking like a comedy irishman which takes me out of it a bit but chan himself is 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 pretty good actually playing against type and he can still there's a couple of scenes where he does his own stunts where you think he's still got it i mean the book itself is uh based on the book the chinaman by stephen lever and it's pretty much just a rip off of rambo first blood and it's interesting, obviously, the fact that Jackie Chan, they cast Jackie Chan in it because in the book it's a Vietnamese, uh, it's, it's Viet Cong. Yeah, uh, yeah, he is in the film. Is. He is in the film as well. He's got a Vietnamese name and everything. It's How like Vietnamese. He's obviously <laughs> he's a Chinese actor. Yeah, that took me out of it a bit as well. I didn't realise that was the case in the um, in the novel. I thought, I thought, seeing the trailer and stuff, he's he's there. He's playing uh, playing, you know, a Chinese actor. Um, He's obviously going to be the Chinaman of the thing. I mean, the reason he's nah, he, in the books he runs China, a, is just basic Western racism. The fact that we're supposedly he, not able to distinguish between the Vietnamese and, and Chinese people, but he runs a Chinese restaurant. The the the, the, the backstory remains the same, but he's clearly Chinese. <laughs> Dear God. Okay. And on that note, <laughs> we're going to obviously move on to our pick for next week. Well, our next episode, sorry. Um, for our next episode, we are going to be looking at more Samuel Chung. Uh, ah, get the words out. You can tell it's late. Um, we're going to be looking at more Samuel Hung as we're going to be looking at one of his, the more forgotten and sadly so titles of his back catalog. We're going to be looking at Pedicab Driver from 1989. Um, this is going to be one which is going to be interesting to obviously see uh, if anyone is able to track it down because I mean it's long out of print on both VHS and Laserdisc and you can get it on DVD through the Warner Archive so it's going to require some crate digging if you're going to watch along with us or you know some creative searching on the internet I guess uh, but if you have uh, in the meantime if you have obviously had 
written any reviews on uh, God of Cookery or you've done a podcast on the uh, film, please share your links with us and uh, we will post them up on our website. Um, also, uh, if you've not done already, please hit that subscribe button uh, or like us if you're listening to us on iTunes or Podomatic or if you're listening to us on the That Moment In podcast network. Um, please uh, leave us a review, leave us some uh, comments, and uh, we'd obviously love to hear from you. And especially if you've, uh, as I said, share those review links. It's something we'd like to do going forward in 2018 is to set up a more of a community hub for the show and just like share links and opinions uh, because I mean the the Asian cinema community I mean it's got this uh, this reputation for being kind of elitist and you know we'd just like to bring it more together bring it more make it more of a community in 2018 so uh, definitely if you've done any links or podcasts uh, you want to share with us then uh, please do if uh, you can send them through the website uh, you can email us at acfilmclub at yahoo.com uh, you also have the twitter which is uh, acfilmclub or you can leave us a message them through on facebook as well which is uh, just under the Asian Cinema Film Club um, let's say thank you uh, again to my co-host as always Stephen uh, it's a pleasure as always and uh, if people are wanting to uh, check you out I mean you obviously have your your reviews going up on your Twitter feed, uh, uh, which is at LPVO. Yep, so at LPVO is where I'm doing all my reviews of the year, um, but in 240 characters or less, because now I can do 240, I think I can do it justice. I'm still doing stuff at um, guelloramblings.wordpress.com, and I might get around to doing some more stuff at easternkicks.com, but I've been a bit of a naughty boy there, and I need to, uh, in 2018 get on top of some of my reviews and interviews and commitments but yes i'm all over the internet cool. and uh thank you as well to our special guest uh host tonight uh kim low um uh, i mean kim what's uh coming up on the slate for yourself anything exciting uh well like i said before i mean i'm trying to get the hong kong cinema thing into the the blog and reviving my baking through disney which i've tried reviving two times so hopefully third time's the charm um so yeah, that that's pretty much it. I mean, movies, books, that's it. <laughs> awesome. Um, and obviously, if people want to find you, was do you have uh, best links at all for that? Yeah. So Tranquil Dreams blog is k l l i n g dot wordpress dot com. Um, I mean, uh, there's you know you can always find me on Twitter at Tranquil Dreams underscore. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, and then um, that—that's about it. (laughs) Cool. Well, thank you again for coming on, and uh, obviously talking about Stephen Chow, and you know, correcting some names for us this evening. (laughs) Yeah, I think I just put everything off track. So I'm really glad (laughs) to be here, though. (laughs) Absolute pleasure, and 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 you correct you you corrected me, and we had a good gossip about Hong Kong scandal. So that was brilliant. uh, (laughs) Well, hopefully, we'll get you back on to uh, talk about more Hong Kong cinema in, in the ahead. So. Absolutely. Cool. Um, again, thank you everyone for listening. And uh, if you haven't done already, as we said already, please uh, do hit those subscribe buttons, leave us some comments. It all helps uh, expand the reach of the show and uh, helps us bring more shows. But uh, as I said, uh, this wraps up uh, tonight's episode. And next time we'll be back with Petty Card Driver. But until next time, thank you for listening. Kino no koi, 
君は忘れて昨日のあの子は忘れて踊り続けていたい夜なのさ月が砕け散っても星が燃えて落ちても踊り続けていたい夜なのさ